We are not yet in a position to confirm that these are the wanted suspects. A frustrating day for RCMP, the tip that turned up nothing in the search for teenage murder suspects. Amazing video of an arsonist targeting the Osuyas RCMP detachment, a crime caught on camera. And too fast and furious. Dash cam video of a street race gone wrong. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Where are Briar Schmigelski and Cam McLeod? A nationwide manhunt for the two teens has been underway since last Tuesday when they were named suspects in three deaths in northern BC. The most recent possible sighting is in the tiny community of York Landing, Manitoba, but RCMP have since had to admit they've been unable to substantiate that tip. Still, a heavy police presence remains there. Ramina Dea has the very latest. An exodus of police resources on the move from Gillam to York Landing. Manitoba RCMP zeroing in on the small First Nation community after a terrifying encounter Sunday night. I was scared, and but just again trying to uh, be a leader for like my community members, my uh, Bear Clan members. Witnesses from the Indigenous Watch Group say two men fitting the description of the murder suspects, appeared to be scavenging for food at the dump. Thankfully, the gentleman that they saw didn't, uh, they didn't have any backpack with them, no visible, nothing in their hands, no weapons or anything like that. So they didn't feel threatened at all. And they, as soon as the guys saw our guys, they bolted. The tip unsubstantiated, say Manitoba RCMP. 18-year-old Briar Schmigelski and 19-year-old Cam McLeod still on the run, undetected for a week now. Police say the last confirmed sighting of the teen suspects was Monday, July 22nd in the Gillam area, York Landing 90 kilometres away, the town surrounded by challenging terrain and water, only accessible by a two-hour ferry crossing, by air or by train. We're making a plea to the public to, to send in tips and to call us, so we want that. Um, so if someone does see something or know something, yes, definitely call us and we will look into that. Doors and windows locked. About 500 residents in York Landing still on high alert. We've been seeing a lot of vehicles on the road. Um, SWAT team with guns. That's scary. This is something you don't anticipate uh, and never really have be prepared for, right? And uh, the feeling is uneasy still. That uneasiness entrenched as residents wonder how long before the suspects are caught. Romina Dea, Global News. And Global's Sean O'Shea is in Gillum tonight with more on what's unfolding there, as well as how that tiny community is holding up. Sean. Certainly some disappointment, some considerable disappointment that this did not pan out, that the suspects were not found, that no arrests were made today. A Gillum where we are is basically ground zero. It has been for the last seven days of this massive Canadian manhunt, this search for these two suspects. Uh, this is a community that's used to a very quiet life. Uh, people who live here uh, 
don't lock their front doors. They don't take their keys out of their pickup trucks. They are used to a very safe lifestyle. They're very much used to not seeing so many people here. But the world, to some extent, has descended here. The world meaning Australian media, because one of the victims um, here was Australian, and so we had Australian media here. Canadian media, of course, and so many Mounties. So many brought in from other parts of the province, with the assistance as well of the Ontario Provincial Police. The military, of course, been brought in. Two aircraft utilized. Uh, Hercules doing overflights, uh, searching uh, the area here. So this has been to say the least, very disruptive for the community, but more than just disruptive, uh, a sense of security has been lost here. People are now locking their doors. People have been keeping their kids inside and not in playgrounds. And so there's a, a big feeling here that they would like to see that change as quickly as possible, not hear the aircraft flying over uh, the way they have been uh, for the last few days. And the hope is that despite what happened uh, at York Landing and the fact that no arrests were made, they're still hopeful here that the police are going to be able to make an arrest and they're hopeful that they'll be able to make an arrest sooner rather than later as we enter the second week of this manhunt. Chris, Sophie, back to you. All right, thanks for that. Sean O'Shea and Gillum, Manitoba. There have been so many twists and turns to this story. Here's a look back at some of the key events. Friday, July 12th, it's believed 19-year-old Cam McLeod and 18-year-old Briar Schmigelski left their home in Port Alberni. Family believes they're headed to Alberta to look for work. Monday, July 15th, the bodies of tourists Lucas Fowler and China Dees are found 20 kilometers south of Liard Hot Springs. Friday, July 19th, McLeod and Schmigelski's burned-out truck is found 50 kilometers south of Dees Lake. A body is found nearby, later identified as Vancouver resident Leonard Dick. Two days later, McLeod and Schmigelski are spotted in Meadow Lake, Saskatchewan. The following day, Monday, July 22nd, a burned-out Toyota RAV4 is found near Gillum, and there are two confirmed sightings in that area. And then, Tuesday, July 23rd, RCMP reveals Schmigelski and McLeod are no longer considered missing. They're now suspects in the death of Deese and Fowler and Dick. Wednesday, July 24th, McLeod and Schmigelski are formally charged with the second-degree murder of Leonard Dick. And Sunday, July 28th, the unconfirmed sighting of McLeod and Schmigelski in York Landing. And tonight, the manhunt continues. Now, even before this manhunt began, uh, began to unfold, a big concern for B.C.'s north has been the lack of cell coverage and the safety risk that poses. For decades, many in that region have operated under the code of the road, stopping to help strangers who need it. But now, given recent events, that's changed. As Sarah McDonald reports, the province is responding to growing calls for better connectivity in the region. For so long, so many in our province's most remote and isolated northern regions have operated by the code of the road. Now it's like, you know, you have to be mindful all the time now. But with three travellers murdered in nearly as many days, the northern hospitality that came to define this remote region is changing. It's one way in and one way out to the Yukon and... You know, you don't know who's traveling through. And the vehicles now belong. RCMP now advising those living here to rethink their practice of pulling over to help commuters in need. On hundreds of kilometers of highway, largely lacking cell coverage and the capacity to call for help. If you drive on the highway and you're by yourself, should you stop and get out of your car? You should maybe question that. You should probably pull up, 
Maybe roll your window down, say, do you need something? Go to the next community call for help. Should you get out when you don't know a stranger? Probably not a great idea. The province had already announced $18 million in funding to expand or introduce high-speed internet in eight rural communities across the region four weeks before the murders. It's, it's a need. It's a must. On Monday, the public safety minister responded to renewed growing calls to bring the region up to speed with better connectivity. And actually has been uh, something I've been trying to get, we've been trying to do uh, for, 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 the last, uh, for, the, for the last two years. But the telecommunications company that services most of this region says it has no plans to construct fiber optic infrastructure in Ramona and Candace Kwok's territory. I like helping people. But after this, it's like I'll keep driving, sorry. Meaning parts of this region now in the international spotlight will likely remain in the dark for years to come. Sarah McDonald, Global News. A wildfire in the South Okanagan has burned more than 400 hectares, but firefighters are making progress. The Richter Mountain fire is burning near the Crow's Nest Highway between Osuyas and Caramillos. A total of 145 firefighters and eight helicopters are on site today. BC Wildfire Service says the fire is showing a low level of fire activity and it, it's not producing a lot of smoke. Today's suppression efforts were focused on the ground with crews working in very steep terrain. They are working to build uh, machine and handguard along the north and east portions of the fire today. There's quite a bit of loose debris on the hillside as well, so uh, it is a challenge for firefighters at times for sure. We have seen some fairly large chunks come down here and there, so we are asking folks to travel through the area slowly, but at the same time without stopping. The fire was caused by lightning. Its status has now been changed to being held. Members of the Asugas RCMP are lauding the efforts of a man who jumped into action when an arsonist tried to light up the local RCMP detachment. Global's Shelby Tom has more on how the Good Samaritan helped and what we're learning about a man arrested and now facing serious charges. 28-year-old Joseph MacArthur Pereira is facing charges of arson and mischief endangering life after allegedly attempting to light this RCMP detachment on fire with two police officers inside. In security footage obtained by Global News, a man can be seen approaching the front entrance of the detachment on Thursday night around 9.30 p.m. He peers inside and tries the front door, but it's locked. The arsonist is carrying a jerry can of gas and pours the gasoline around the front door and the exterior of the building before igniting it. Two officers inside the detachment smell the smoke and go to investigate, but they weren't the first to respond. Went out and found a man there that, uh, an astute passerby that had happened to, to see the fire, uh, was pulling their RV and had some jugs of water, and uh, luckily for us, he quickly uh, stopped and put that fire out for us. Pereira was arrested after allegedly returning to the scene of the crime with flammable materials in hand. He is known to police. We have had some prior, prior dealings with him. He is a local resident. Damage to the building was minimal and no one was injured. Pereira remains in custody pending a psychological assessment. His next court appearance is scheduled for August 21st. Shelby Tom, Global News, ACUs. We're learning more tonight about a plane crash that claimed the lives of four people and sent five others to hospital. Pilot Al McBain was 59 years old and had been flying with Sea Air seaplanes for 15 years. His passion for flying came from his father, who was with the same rescue squadron 
that assisted with Friday's mission. His sister is District of Saanich Councilor Natalie Chambers, and on Facebook she writes, I am very, extremely devastated and heartbroken to announce the death of my brother Al McBain. I love you. She describes him as a great brother who believed in her. He was inspired by nature, meticulous and hardworking. While at Vancouver's Kitsilano Coast Guard Station, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau also praised the efforts of crew members during Friday's rescue. This weekend, the Coast Guard responded to the tragic plane crash off the coast of B.C. Our thoughts are with everyone involved, with their families and their friends. And to the members of the Coast Guard who were on the scene, thank you. When Canadians need help, they know they can look to you. The float plane was leaving Vancouver, heading to a fishing lodge in Hakai Pass when it crashed on Addenbrooke Island, north of Port Hardy. Four bodies have been recovered and the Transportation Safety Board has been on scene since yesterday investigating the cause of the crash. Two powerful luxury vehicles, one bad choice, and the result was caught on camera. Yeah, Surrey police confirming to Global News they are now using this Twitter video in their investigation. The two cars caught on dash cam racing on Highway 10 and 132nd. No word on whether the drivers have been identified and if so, what charges, if any, they might be facing. Hey Siri, is our security at risk? New concerns about who's listening to your private conversations. And another major accomplishment in an already exceptional life for Meghan Markle. Why this one is a real page-turner. Coming up later. Right now, though, starting today, five new speed enforcement cameras are active at certain intersections across the province. The new cameras will ticket drivers speeding through intersections no matter what color the light is. Ted Chernecki explains where they are right now and how fast you have to be going to trigger a ticket. According to provincial records, there is on average an accident here at Kingsway Boundary almost every second day. And about once a week, that crash results in serious injuries. So it was here that the first of five new red light speed cameras went live this morning. The registered owners of vehicles that fly through this intersection will get a ticket in a matter of days. And I should note that if you fly through on a red light, you'll get two tickets, one for each offence. Fly through a green light and you'll get a ticket, but just what the speed threshold is, the minister isn't saying. Let me put it in real simple terms. If you drive like a normal person, you're not going to get a ticket. Drive like a uh, self-entitled jerk, you'll get a ticket. By definition, uh, photo radar is a cash grab because it requires money for it to be successful. The other four include two in Vancouver and one in Pitt Meadows and one at 152nd and King George Boulevard. There's another 30 of the new cameras coming online in the coming months, but they'll never substitute having an officer on scene. We always love to have that personal contact because we never know what we might find, whether it be an impaired driver, whether it be someone who might be a prohibited driver. But the fact is, is that there's way too many speeders for us to have contact with everyone. For example, these red light radar cameras will not show the two or three cell phones or drug paraphernalia on the front seat. The driver of a stolen vehicle could care less because any fine is sent to the registered owner of the vehicle. And you can bet on there being court cases challenging the technology's credibility. Ted Chernecki, Global News.
As we saw earlier, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau making the rounds on the Lower Mainland today, including an appearance at the newly renovated Kitsilano Coast Guard base. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on the subtext of the PM's visit. Keith. Yeah, very clear, uh, Chris, that Justin Trudeau is very much in pre-campaign mode. The campaign officially kicks off in early September. You're going to see a lot of him in B.C. and other places using things as political uh, as political backdrops. And today, the Kitsilano base, Coast Guard base serves to reminder, remind voters of a couple of things, that the Conservatives closed that base, Trudeau reopened it, also using the North Shore Mountains as a convenient backdrop as well, a reminder that he's there to promote ocean protection plans that are associated with the Trans Mountain Pipeline, and of course, the ridings around Vancouver Harbour are owned by the, the federal Liberals, and we're going to take a look at them now. And again, along the tanker route, we're talking Liberal ridings that were won by massive amounts of voters. Vancouver Centre, more than 20,000 voters more than the nearest competitor. North Vancouver, a similar number, as with West Van, Sunshine Coast, and Sea to Sky, Vancouver Quadra, uh, over 17,000 margin of victory. Only Burnaby North Seymour, where the terminus of uh, the Trans Mountain Pipeline is located, a relatively narrower margin of victory for the Liberals. But Trudeau, again, I think fairly confident he can take those ridings home, even though they're along the contentious tank route associated with the pipeline. Again, Trudeau extolling the virtues of the kit's base today. Another reminder of the differences between him and the Conservatives. Since we reopened this station, the women and men here at Kitsilano have conducted hundreds of search and rescue missions and kept BC's waterways clean and safe day after day. So again, expect Justin Trudeau to make a lot of appearances between now and the campaign beginning in September. And I think a lot of them are going to be associated with selling the public on the Trans Mountain Pipeline and the increased tanker traffic through the ridings that are owned, uh, held by the B federal Liberals right now. Mm -hmm. Chris? Only 84 days until the election, <laughs> Keith. Much more of this All to right. come, I'm sure. Thanks very much. It turns out a fire that tore through a strip of buildings in Port Moody Sunday night destroyed part of the city's history. As Tanya Beja reports, two heritage buildings were gutted. The loss, a major blow to the cultural community. Flowers I got for my birthday. I have to take those home. Helen Daniels was celebrating her birthday in the backyard of her Port Moody bistro when fire broke out next door. You know, it just grew and grew, and pretty soon there were four or five fire trucks here, and it was, I was just in shock. I mean, it's, you know, it, it didn't seem real. The blaze on Clark Street broke out just before 6 Sunday evening. 34 firefighters from Port Moody and Coquitlam responded to the call. They say the flames started near the roof of an old general store. It's been closed for years. It was vacant, um, but we did have tenants above. And so the two tenants above did get out, and they did get out with their pets. Because the heritage building was wood frame, the fire moved quickly, causing serious damage to the gallery bistro next door. Just older buildings, different uh, building codes back then, and uh, it's building's very, very dry, and um, it, was, it was tough to get a, a handle on it right away. I was surprised at how fast it spread. It kind of went into the neighboring buildings. Two other businesses suffered smoke and water damage. The fire response also caused a water main to break. If you can, use alternate routes. Uh, Clark Street won't be open uh, tonight for through traffic. As investigators review the losses, neighbours say the buildings and businesses like the Bistro were at the heart of the city's cultural scene. Devastated. Um, the Gallery Bistro Cafe and the buildings here, I mean, you know, they're such a part of Port Moody history. They were just wonderful for the community and it was a very good social gathering place. The restaurant was also Helen Daniels' passion for the past five years. I'm always thinking about it. Right? It's not a nine-to-five job, you know, 
and so it's it's really hard. It's going to be hard to figure out what, what happens next. Daniels doesn't know if her building is salvageable, but says she's overwhelmed by the outpouring of support from customers and strangers. Tanya Beja, Global News. Some breaking news for you now and another major privacy breach, this one affecting millions of Canadians. Capital One says the personal information of more than 100 million people, including 6 million Canadians, was obtained by a Seattle woman who has now been arrested. The woman allegedly broke into the bank's server at a cloud computing company. Capital One says the compromised information includes names, addresses, phone numbers, and dates of birth, but says the hacker did not gain access to any credit card account numbers. The hack did, however, include one million Canadian social insurance numbers. Well, we're all trying to do the right thing for the environment by recycling as much as we can, but there is one category of products that causes confusion for many people. That's right. Our Consumer Matters reporter, Andrew, is here with how you can recycle products like motor oils and mm. antifreeze. A lot of people don't know what to do with it. And there's actually quite a large market for used oil products. Thanks for that, Chris. Each year, approximately 50 million liters of oil and 3 million liters of antifreeze are collected through the BC Used Oil Management Association program. There are about 300 recycling depots like this one across the province and their services are free. The depots are set up so they're about a 30 minute drive for every person in BC. About three quarters of the oil collected in this province goes to a refinery in North Vancouver where it's turned into new lubricating oil or processed for use in pulp mills, roads and highways. Oil filters are crushed to remove the oil and the metal is then sold to steel mills to make other products. Plastic oil and antifreeze containers are recycled into things like new oil containers, plastic flower pots and parking curbs. And antifreeze containers can be recycled to make new antifreeze containers and other plastic products. It's such an opportunity to turn new old lubricating oil into new lubricating oil. We can do that through the BC program here. If it's improperly disposed of, it causes cause problems in the environment. And we got so many options for it, you just don't need to do that. And the BCU's Oil Management Association also tells us about 250 million litres of new oil are sold across Western Canada every year, and most of it can be recycled. To find a depot near you, just go to bcusedoil.com, rather, just enter your address, and it will tell you where the closest location is. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, good information. Thanks, Anne. The city of Vancouver has officially launched one of the biggest parties of the year. The mayor and city council proclaimed Pride Week 2019 this afternoon. The raising of the pride and trans flags outside City Hall launching a week of events leading up to Sunday's parade in downtown Vancouver. Now, that event has been marred by some controversy, though, after the Pride Society banned the Vancouver Public, Public Library, UBC, and uniformed VPD officers from participating. And Pride Week in Vancouver stands as a proud symbol of the remarkable progress we've made towards securing acceptance, safety, and equal rights for all citizens in Vancouver. City Council will continue to support LGBTQ2 plus rights and equalities so that all citizens are able to celebrate who they are and who they choose to love with pride. 
traffic is in great shape both ways this evening at the Alex Fraser Bridge, but do keep in mind that overnight construction causes delays from 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. Sports fans, don't miss the Suspendables, a podcast featuring former NHL player Russ Cortnell. It's hilarious. Search the Suspendables on any podcast streaming service today. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Fierce wildfires on the Italian island of Sardinia have forced the evacuation of homeowners and tourists from hotels, campsites, even the beach. The flames spread by strong wind and parched conditions with flying embers threatening to spread them even farther. The fire is thought to have been started by an outdoor heater or barbecue. A 23-year-old man appeared in court today accused of a quadruple murder that has shocked the city of Markham, Ontario. He's charged with four counts of first-degree murder after meeting police at the front door of the crime scene. Men has a man lived in this two-story home on Castlemore Avenue in Markham with his parents, sister, and grandmother. Now the 23-year-old is accused of the mass murder of three women and one man found inside the house, presumed to be his family members, after police were called here around 3 Sunday afternoon. Man has a man was arrested here at the scene. He's a really good kid. I, mean, I, I, I see, I've seen him grow up. And, and for me to think why he would do that, it would have to be something very, very traumatic in his life that happened. While neighbors spent the day trying to understand what went wrong, Zaman was in a Newmarket courtroom wearing a black t-shirt, leg shackles and handcuffs. Four family members came to see the accused for themselves, but would not speak to Global News as they left the courthouse. The man looked eerily calm during his very brief appearance, saying nothing other than his name and date of birth. The Justice of the Peace then told him he was to have no contact with 13 people, likely relatives. His relaxed demeanor, hard to believe, given the seriousness of the charges he's facing. Global News has learned from a member of an online gaming site that Zaman belonged to that he allegedly confessed to killing his family on Sunday during an online chat. Zaman also allegedly shared pictures of his dead family members after the killing and posted pictures of a bloody knife, the suspected murder weapon. All this prompting concerned members of the online group to contact police. And they seemed to get along with each other. Back on Castlemore Avenue, there is disbelief. How could a seemingly pleasant young man who this neighbor said mowed the lawn and shoveled the snow be accused of such a horrific crime? Police say the names of the four people murdered will be released once autopsies have been completed. Catherine McDonald, Global News. And police have identified the gunman in a mass shooting Sunday in a small California town, but they still don't have a motive. Panic and chaos at the Gilroy Garlic Festival after a 19-year-old man opened fire. Police responded in less than a minute and shot and killed the attacker, but not before he killed three people, including a 6-year-old boy a 13, and a 13-year-old girl. Fifteen others were injured. Police say the gunman cut through a fence to get in and appeared to be shooting at random. No clear motive, but his Instagram post referenced a misogynist and anti-Semitic book popular with white supremacists. Police say the automatic rifle used in the crime was legally purchased in Nevada earlier this month. Apple is defending itself tonight against accusations that conversations heard by Siri are anything but private. A new report says contractors working for the company regularly listen in on confidential information. Tonight, Apple is defending Siri, 
Hey Siri. As its popular voice assistant on iPhone, iPad, and Apple Watch faces new criticism, an anonymous whistleblower told The Guardian newspaper that human contractors can sometimes listen to what Siri hears. Among the chatter, confidential medical conversations, drug deals, and even intimate moments, according to the whistleblower. NBC News has not confirmed the whistleblower's story. But Apple did not deny the allegation, telling us it uses the recordings to make Siri work better, adding only a very small random subset, less than 1% of daily Siri utterances are used to improve Siri and dictation. But with 15 billion Siri commands made every month, tens of millions could be listened to. Apple responded, saying Siri recordings are not attached to your Apple username or other identifying information, adding that all reviewers are under the obligation to adhere to Apple's strict confidentiality requirements. Apple frequently touts that it prioritizes privacy. Privacy to us is a human right. These technologies are really reliant on, you know, human review and continual sort of process to make the technology better. Apple's head of privacy emphasizes to me that it's only trying to improve its technology. To opt out, turn Siri off. In settings, tap Siri and search and turn both of these toggles off. In Health Matters tonight, it is an uncomfortable subject that many parents shy away from. But a new study says talking to kids about sex can lead to safer practices later in life. North Carolina researchers looked at data from studies of more than 12,000 adolescents. They found that teens whose parents talked to them about sex were more likely to practice safe sex. They also found that having the talk did not lead teens to have sex at an earlier age and that younger kids are more likely to listen to parents than older teens. Some spectacular new underwater video tonight of a world just off the B.C. coast that most people will never see. A group of researchers has just returned from a mission to map underwater mountains, even volcanoes, discovering so much life they have named one area Coral Tropolis. Richard Zussman reports. Deep below the water, more than 150 kilometers off the northern tip of Vancouver Island, sits these seamounts. Some of them never explored or discovered until now. And on these mountains, there's this amazing little coral, deep water corals and sponges and other fish species. And it's a diverse ecosystem that is just right here. This is just a small part of the team from the Federal Department of Fisheries and Oceans sent out for two weeks to sample water, examine wildlife and better understand our coast. You travel on top of the ocean, you don't get a good idea of what's down there. And when people see that, I think it really helps them to kind of connect to the animals that are in the ocean. A huge part of the trip also consists of how to protect the ocean floor, because in many cases, it can be incredibly fragile. It's essential. Um, if we don't have that information, then we can't uh, begin to... Um, understand the protections for it. Hold on to the floaty. The federal government will use the data collected to establish a conservation plan, plus how this underwater life can be protected. Josh Watts was on the trip, a member of a coastal First Nation. The sea is important. It's a big part of our people's way of life and that this is a uh, good step forward for marine protected areas. During the duration of the trip, members of First Nation communities, scientists, students and the general public could all join in and watch a live stream. I think we had 29 countries watching it at the same time at a point. It was really impressive. 
Although the excursion is done now, the work is far from over. The team will now analyze the data with the plans to go back here to continue to figure out the mysterious world just beneath the water. Richard Zussman, Global News. Caught on video, a moose and her calf in a very close call with a police cruiser. We'll have the full story right after our forecast. Yikes. Look left. Yeah, right? Look left. <laughs> All right. Uh, meteorologist Christy Gordon is here with the weather forecast now, and we've had a Beautiful past couple of days, Christy. Yes, a nice couple of days, that's for sure. Feeling like uh, the July we wanted. I wanted to start off with this photo. Great shot from Laura in, when in Salmon Arm. Taken over the weekend, a double rainbow. The thing I wanted to point out is this. Have you ever noticed with a double rainbow, it starts with red at the top and ends with purple? But the other rainbow is the opposite. Uh, yes, and there's a reason yeah. for that. Here's a look. So this is what happens when you get one rainbow. You get a reflection within the water droplet. It always has to do with sunlight reflecting within a droplet. But every once in a while, that reflection actually happens twice. And so because that reflection happens twice, that's why you get the opposite rainbow or you know color configuration in that uh, secondary rainbow. Secondary rainbow is always a little bit lighter uh, to see. It's the strongest one is that first one. So kind of interesting in my opinion. I love it when you share your photos with us. So weatherwindow at globaltv.com is our email. You can also use our sky tracker app you can actually share photos right on that or you can tweet at me uh, I can share any of those photos all right it was a hot one today because of that sunshine away from the water up to 29 near the water 24 degrees this is above seasonal and uh, we're in the 30s and through the southern interior in fact the hot spot across Canada today two of them and both of them in BC at 20 no, sorry 32.9 degrees in both the Soyuz and in trail now over the next couple of days a bit of a change not for those of you in the southern interior but for coastal regions including us we will see more cloud cover but we're just on the bottom edge of this system so it really is just cloud cover that we're expecting tomorrow morning that cloud may be a little bit thick that we could see a bit of drizzle but otherwise it's across the north and central coast that we'll see the rainfall southern bc sunshine whereas the south coast mainly cloudy with breaks of blue sky later in the day a bit more cloud expected on wednesday but still or sorry a bit more sun expected on wednesday Day. Perfect timing for the fireworks, but we're back to cloud cover. So certainly a change expected this week, you two. Sure looks like it. All right, thanks, Christy. Caught on police dash cam in Alaska, a close call of the northern kind. A police officer driving near Anchorage sees a moose and her calf in the distance. Luckily, she slows down because that happened. Both of them slipped and fell in the middle of the road. Mom got off to the left. The baby uh, ran off to the right, but then made its way back to its mother a few seconds later. Now, luckily, drivers traveling in the other direction saw it coming as well. Mm -hmm. You mean like a crosswalk? Do you know what that moose yeah. needs? With whiz, what? Those things curlers put on their shoes. <laughs> oh, to oh, stop them from slipping? Yeah. Right. <laughs> or a crossing guard. That would be good, too. Mm -hmm. Did they you guys it. miss us? Did we miss them? Squires. Uh, yeah, you were both Did away. You they were gone. Hmm. <laughs> Probably not. I shouldn't have asked if I didn't <laughs> of know the answer. Did. Welcome back. You. Of course. Fresh from vacation? Yes. Well rested. I did things on my vacation I don't normally do. Really? Like sleep and eat breakfast. <laughs> oh, good for you. Thank you. It was fun. Uh, the official announcement won't be made until Thursday, 
But we can tell you now that the LPGA's Canadian Women's Open will be coming back to this city, or Vancouver, of course, because uh, you might be watching us somewhere else, uh, next year at the Shaughnessy Golf Club, which uh, held the Canadian Men's Open four times in its history. Unlike the men's version, the Canadian Women's Open does not have an aversion to playing in Western Canada. In 2015 and 2012, it was at the uh, Vancouver Golf and Country Club in Coquitlam. It was also at Point Grey this century. For some reason, the men think that anything west of Ontario is out of bounds. But because the Canadian Women's Open is coming, that means Brooke Henderson will be there. She won it last year in Regina. One thing about the LPGA, all the big players play in the Canadian Open. It's not really like that with the Canadian Men's Open. However, we should say Shaughnessy still hopes to get some Men's Open back here as well. They also tried to get the President's Cup at Shaughnessy. Well, the Tampa Bay Lightning have signed goaltender Andre Vasilevsky to a huge contract. Eight years for nine and a half million dollars per season. The contract starts after this coming season and when it does begin, he will be the third highest paid goalie in the NHL behind Montreal's Carey Price and Sergei Bobrovsky, who is now with Florida. And since Vasilevsky is only 25 and he won the Vezina for best goalie last year or this year, the Lightning figured why not make him ours until he's 33. He led the NHL with 39 wins, of course, playing with Tampa helped that statistic, but he was top 10 in save percentage and goals against. That means two of the top three highest paid goalies play in Florida. Oh, and while we're on the subject, of goaltender contracts. What about Jacob Markstrom? We hear a lot about how the Canucks are trying to sign Brock Besser before the start of the coming season. But at some point before the end of next season, the Canucks are going to have to make a decision on Markstrom's future because this is the final year of his contract. He, of course, will want to raise. He will make $3.6 million this year. Depending how he plays, he could make at least $5 million per year in any new contract he gets. The Canucks need to decide if they want to give him a short-term deal or a long-term deal, especially with Thatcher Demko right behind him. A long-term deal for Markstrom would make Demko feel like he has no future in Vancouver. The goal for every Little League baseball team is to make the Little League World Series in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. This year, that tournament will begin on August 15th. To get there from Canada, you have to win our national tournament, which starts August 1st in Ancaster, Ontario. And every year at the Canadian Championships, it's an automatic that one of the favorites, one of the teams to beat, is the team that's representing BC. And this year, that team is Coquitlam. We believe! We believe! We believe! We believe! We believe! It's the Coquitlam All-Stars mantra, and the only thing more powerful than their We Believe chant is their on-field performance en route to winning the Provincial Little League Championship. This is a team that scores a lot of runs. We led the Provincials in, in, in runs, we led it in home runs, and we led it in hits. You call them the Cardiac Kids, how come? Because they kept coming back all week. Uh, we were down in so many games. Uh, we had a walk-off home run to win a game. Uh, we had to win a game in the eighth inning uh, when we were down. And uh, they're just a bunch of fighters, this team. They have so much heart. Heart battle-tested and ready to fly the BC flag at the Canadian Little League Championship, where BC teams have dominated. British Columbia has won 13 of the last 14 Canadian Little League titles. It's been over a decade of diamond dominance that this group of youngsters plan on continuing. You know, we're pretty talented. We got a chance to go to the, you know, Little League World Series. Pretty cool. 
We obviously have a good batting team and a good defensive team, but sometimes like when we get down, we, we st uh, keep it up and we still get some more runs and make it a close and a good baseball game. So. Coquitlam is making a strong imprint on Canada's baseball landscape. This group of kids represents the third team from Coquitlam this year to win a provincial championship. And like their mantra, they truly believe they're capable of winning it all. Do you go there with a the swagger? Do you go there knowing the history? Do you go there trying to continue to make it history? I think we go there trying to make trying to make history. Um, sure, you got to have a little bit of confidence. You don't want to be you know overconfident. Um, but I think we got the right approach going in, and uh, I really believe in these kids. I really think we can do this. It's just like a great experience to be able to win a tournament like that against good teams like we played. Jay Janower, Global Sports. Canada is tied for second overall in medals won at the Pan Am Games in Peru. The U.S. is first with 44. Canada has 32 along with Mexico, but we only have four golds right now, which is less than six other countries. We also have 18 silver and 10 bronze. All right. Thanks, Squire. You're welcome. Let's check in with J.D. Rant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. J.D. Thank you very much, Sophie. We will have any new developments in the manhunt for B.C.'s teen murder suspects. Plus, a man in his 60s was stabbed at an Abbotsford homeless camp last night. Police don't believe the attack was random, but are still looking for the suspect. And police say they warned drivers, but not everyone got the message, where one motorist was slapped with a hefty fine for allegedly tossing a lit cigarette out their car. It was no ordinary butt, and the driver was also ticketed for two other traffic offenses. We'll have those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11. That is a big bill. Mm -hmm. All right, thanks, Jay. The September issue of British Vogue is getting a royal touch with Meghan Markle, the Duchess of Sussex, serving as its first ever guest editor. As Kira Simmons reports, she's using her newfound regal power of persuasion to recruit some high-profile guests. She's one of the most written about women in the world, often criticized. Tonight, these are her words. Let's shine light in a world filled with seemingly daily darkness, the Duchess of Sussex writes. Guest editing the influential British Vogue September issue, a role she reveals she asked for. Her editorial choices unashamedly political, advocating for inclusivity, spotlighting 15 female changemakers, like New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, who guided her nation through the worst mass shooting in its history, reflecting on a polarised world. I do think there's a solution to that, though, and that's ultimately us coming back to the humanity that we all share. And pregnant with baby Archie, Meghan interviewing former First Lady Michelle Obama, getting advice on motherhood. Most of the time, my job is to give them the space to explore and develop into the people they want to be, Mrs Obama says. I'm so excited for you and Harry. Imagine it, Meghan and Michelle chatting over lunch. Mrs. Obama supporting another woman, as Meghan puts it, as she speaks out, unlike any royal before her. Keir Simmons, NBC News, London. What an honour. Mm -hmm. Great. All right, Christy, mm -hmm. final word on the weather? So a bit of a change tomorrow. We'll wake up to a fair amount of cloud. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if a few areas saw a bit of drizzle, light shower, but it should be mostly dry with breaks of blue sky towards the end of the day. All right. Happy birthday to my nephew, Daniel. Happy birthday, Daniel. Probably watching somewhere I forgot to get there. you a gift. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay.